Hi, this is Stephanie Fay, and this is season two. Thanks for joining. Hello, and welcome to season two, episode eight. A question for you. What do you think you are too dependent on? This can be anything you can think of that you feel you can't live without, but that this might not be a healthy dependence. When you think about that thing or person, what is it that they give you? Or what experience does that thing or person create for you? And a follow-up to that is what capacities do you doubt within yourself that may get you to depend too much on whatever that thing or person is. This concept is related to the idea of dependence and something called shifting the burden to the intervener. And that's what we'll go into in this episode. So in a previous episode, I talked about the idea of conditional self-regulation and conditional co-regulation, as opposed to the unconditional versions of those. And just a quick repeat of that, conditional self-regulation is when we use external stimulus to help us create a desired state. And conditional co-regulation is when we use relationships for that purpose, whereas unconditional is using our own mind in various ways without needing certain conditions to be a certain way or people to behave in a certain way as an example. This idea of conditional self-regulating and co-regulating is related to the idea of dependence or shifting the burden to an intervener. So this is not a good or bad thing. This is just something that we do to help us free up other resources. So for example, we can shift the burden of doing calculations to a calculator in order to free up our brain to do other processes. A lot of medications also do this. They shift the burden from doing some of the deeper work of really figuring out where symptoms come from that could require a lot of in-depth analysis and a longer-term study of patterns in order to understand where these symptoms come from. But what we can do instead is shift the burden to the medication to alleviate and create that desired state, which is a lowering of distress or suffering, in order for us to free up other resources. So these are, again, not good or bad things. Sometimes they are necessary, especially in the short term. But what can happen is they can become destructive if they weaken the capacity of the original system to self-maintain. So for example, drugs can do this. If they weaken a person's ability to self-soothe or create their own desired state, and they weaken the neural circuitry needed for that, then it weakens the self-maintaining capacities of that person. And when this becomes like a system trap, when it becomes a maladaptive mechanism, it means that this intervention or intervener is creating a destructive reinforcing feedback loop that makes the original system require and depend on that intervention or intervener more and more. 
And this can get to a point where the original system becomes so weak and so unable to maintain itself that it can collapse or it just stays in a perpetual but ever-increasing dependence. In humans, this is one of our first experiences in many aspects of our life. When we are in the womb, our life is completely dependent on the human who has us in their womb. We have shifted quite a bit of our burden onto her system. Our systems are also, of course, self-maintaining and doing their thing, but we are requiring a lot of conditions to be ideal and within a certain range within the womb of another human being in order to survive. When we leave the womb, like I mentioned also in a previous episode, our self-regulating capacities are very limited. Of course, we have some basic ones that are part of our human circuitry and architecture, but much of our self-soothing and ability to nourish ourselves and have certain basic needs met are almost completely dependent on an intervener of some sort. So what we need to understand and, and what I'm building off of from previous episodes is that our earliest experiences have profound effects on us. And another layer that we're going to talk about today is our earliest experiences experiences with these burden shifts can affect us later in terms of our dependence on ourselves and our dependence on others, as well as our dependence on interventions and interveners. Our earliest experiences will either strengthen or weaken certain circuits. So let's give a couple of scenarios, and there are going to be many varieties of these two kind of extremes that I'm going to give you. And remember that one person isn't all these things all the time. There's different contexts, there's different situations, there's different phases of life. When you are born, you are not born into the same family as anyone else because each new member changes the dynamics of the system. So remember that too. You are not born into the same family that your siblings are because every person is a new node of connectivity that shifts the burden differently also among members and changes system dynamics. So let's just go into two extremes just to illustrate the point of how our earliest experiences can affect this idea of dependence on self and others and interveners, etc. So on the one side, we can have a very dismissive type of environment. And again, this might just be one person or during certain times. But if there are dismissive experiences or unreliable experiences in terms of these first phases where we are extremely dependent on another human in order to have our needs met, to the point that we could basically say our survival depends on another person, an intervener of some sort. So our life is in their hands, basically. If those earliest experiences are unreliable in some way, this can lead to an over-challenging of our system. And I'm going to use another set of words for this. So if our circumstance or environment has challenges that exceed our existing neural and behavioral resources, this overwhelms the system, it over-challenges it, and it creates a certain type of circuitry within us because our brains are developing and pruning and growing new connections and all of this stuff. So if our current state of neural and behavioral resources, when we are little, are not enough to self-regulate, which they're not, because as humans, we are very co-regulating and dependent on others in our first phases of life, 
If we are, in a sense, asked to self-regulate beyond our capacity to do so, this can feed into certain feedback loops and it can strengthen or weaken different circuitry within us. And these feedback loops can then lead into later behaviors. So some of these feedback loops might be that eventually, if we survive this stage, we get the bare minimum, for example, we may have very, very strong self-soothing type of feedback loops. But what these very, very strong self-soothing feedback loops can also relate to, depending on these experiences, is a buildup of predictive models, like I've talked about in other episodes, and paradigms of what the world in a way contains for you. What the outside world and other relationships have in terms of resources that you need. And so this predictive model, if it's getting built in your earliest years with unreliable type of soothing, nurturing experiences that over-challenge you to self-regulate, those paradigms, that neural circuitry, those schemas, those mental models are going to reflect a type of belief or thought that you cannot count on others to help you create a desired state. So you will have a doubt or lack of trust in the ability of others to help you create a desired state. So I want to stop there and then I want to go to the other extreme and we're going to continue on with that cycle after I go into the other extreme. So that was an example of unreliable types of caregiving in your earliest years, where your neural and behavioral resources are not enough for you to completely self-regulate. So if the burden was shifted too much to you and not enough to an intervener, then you may become, in a sense, too independent or too reliant on yourself and untrusting or doubtful of the ability of others to help you co-regulate. Okay, so now on the other extreme, and again, like I've said, there are many different contexts, phases of life, moods, members of family. These are, there are infinite variations of how this all plays out. But just remember that all of these things are feeding into our behaviors later and our dependence on different things later in life. So the other extreme is more reflected in the words like coddling or in a sense, overly reliable parenting, unconditional to a fault in the sense of where there are no boundaries and possibly no trust of the caregiver for you as a growing human to self-regulate and to grow in your abilities to do that. So this can come from very anxious parenting that tries to intervene too often in helping you to regulate your state. And like I mentioned in some of the previous episodes, remember that these behaviors coming from the caregivers or interveners are very based on their own experiences and what they, in a sense, believe to be true about humans and what humans need and what they need, what you need, etc. So in this example, where there is too much intervention going on, you are being under-challenged. So you have the neural and behavioral resources to slowly and gradually evolve in your capacity to self-regulate and self-soothe and maintain. But if your environment doesn't allow for this to be challenged to a certain degree, then these circuits and these networks, in a sense, atrophy. 
and they atrophy your ability to self-regulate because the burden continues to shift to somebody else. And so what that can lead into, because of this atrophying of these self-regulating abilities, it can lead into a schema, predictive model, paradigm, etc., mental model that reflects the phrase, I can't count on myself to create a desired state. So these are the two types of beliefs that can come into play depending on our earliest experiences and can be a mix of both and depend on context, etc. But one version of this type of doubt is I can't count on myself to create a desired state. And the other type of doubt is I can't count on others to help me create a desired state. Both of these experiences that atrophy different circuits feed into some destructive reinforcing feedback loops. So for example, if the earliest experiences were unreliable, that can atrophy a person's co-regulating abilities, which then feed into a feedback loop of behaviors. And I'll get into that. And then the overly reliable coddling type of environment atrophies self-regulating abilities. And that feeds into also a destructive reinforcing feedback loop. So let's go into both of those. These destructive reinforcing feedback loops, in a sense, are like self-fulfilling prophecies. So in the scenario where there may be an atrophying of these co-regulating abilities, an ability to get from relationships what you need to have. This can be from misinterpreting signals to not projecting out your own signals in a way, not expressing what you need not being able to hear what is expressed or understand it or process it, etc. These are all different types of circuitries involved in co-regulating. If an unreliable environment when you were little made you rely too much on yourself to self-regulate and that atrophied these co-regulating capacities, like I said, this can lead into a schema of you being over-dependent on yourself to self-soothe. And so what this can do, because there is now this predictive model that others are not reliable enough for you to create your desired state, your brain-body circuitry, which is very conservative in the sense, like I've mentioned in other episodes, that it will try to create as many conditions that are as predictable as possible because this helps it conserve resources. So in that sense, if relationships are unpredictable and unreliable, then the brain-body system will be more likely to create situations where you only depend on yourself. And so one of those ways to do that is to be more isolated and not interact with other humans as much. And now this is where we're getting into a destructive reinforcing feedback loop, is that If you are not able to turn to other people to create a desired state and to self-soothe, you may turn to other things, anything that can alter your state in a sense, anything that can give you a different neurochemical type of state. So these can be anything that gives you a hit of any kind of hormone that creates a different state within your body, as an example. And so in our society, a tool that is fairly common for that, it does have to do with technology. That can be one example where the different platforms that are there or the different stimulus that is on technology can trigger through the auditory and visual stimulus different circuits that fire that create that desired state momentarily. But the issue here, again, this is not whether this is good or bad. 
These are useful tools at our disposal. The issue is if there is a desire to experience a certain state with someone else, which there likely is because of the biological imperative we have to co-regulate with other humans, if that experience is desired and the behaviors that a person has that are very isolating don't match up with that desire, that's when this can become a problem. And part of that is because of how it continues to feed into this loop. When a person, because of earlier experiences, and also this can be later experiences as well, this is not only the earliest experiences, it's just that the earliest experiences are the most shaping of much of our circuitry that then create those predictive models and paradigms. So this stuff can also happen later, especially if there's something more traumatic that happens later in life. In either scenario, if there is this type of mental model that others cannot reliably help me create my desired state, that brain-body circuitry wants to be conservative and so doesn't spend enough time with others to actually strengthen those networks and that circuitry to start to be able to co-regulate with others and create a desired state with others. So not enough time is spent doing the behaviors and the motor movements and the sociobiological projection and detection. Not enough time is spent doing that in order to strengthen the co-regulating abilities. On the other hand, since we're talking about the flip side of that, if someone relies too much on people because they have doubts about their own self-regulating abilities, this can turn into a destructive feedback loop because they have that doubt and that predictive model that they can't count on themselves to create a desired state. They don't spend enough time on their own. This then further weakens their self-regulating neural and behavioral resources. And so they stay stuck in the loop. Both of these extremes lead to a weakening of circuits and capacities that are possible in humans. We do have the capacity to self-regulate. It needs to grow over time and be nurtured. And we do have the capacity to co-regulate and create psychological safety with others through our very evolved social engagement system and things like that, which I am going to go into in another episode as well. We have those capacities, we have the potential for those. So the fact that they can be atrophied to the point of dependence on something else is not natural in a sense for humans. It goes against human potential. So in both scenarios, whether we have weakened our self-regulating abilities and we are now very reliant on others in order to feed us, in a sense, our desired state, or we are not reliant enough on others and we isolate to a point where we may feel very deprived or even debilitated because we can't go into social situations. Another word I have for both of these is we can become socioholic or sociophobic. Those are kind of extremes. And again, this can depend on a lot of different factors and and fluctuate. But in both scenarios, we may turn to an intervention or intervener in order to shift the burden of altering our own state. So if we want to have a certain desired state socially, we may shift the burden to social media, as an example, to create a certain state. We may also turn to substances that alter our state in that moment. We may also want to turn to medications as a way to shift that burden 
to create a, a state within us that we that seems more desirable to us based on our perception of where we are where we are and where we would like to be, we may look to an intervention or intervener to do that. And again, this is not good or bad. The question is, do these interveners and interventions continue to atrophy the systems that we actually really need in order to create the desired state? The other issue is that many industries and systems, whether we're talking about families, people, or other types of interventions, depend on our dependency on them. So what this can look like, and I've touched on this a few times when it comes to something like social media, and it's not to pick on social media, it's just something that is very relevant right now, is that in order for it as a system, whatever platform we're talking about, TikTok, YouTube, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, in order for it to maintain itself as a system, it depends on your use of it. And so in order to create that dependency, it needs to feed you what you believe you are missing and can't feed yourself with, in a sense, can't create for yourself. And so that's where all these social reward hormones kick in and you get your fix without strengthening the natural systems that are in place within us that could create a desired state. In a sense, you can even see that with therapy. People can become overly dependent on certain types of therapy or medications, going from one to the next, to the next, to the next, because in a sense, the business model of therapy and psychiatry and the medication industry, for example, the antidepressant medication industry, in a sense, is dependent on your doubt of your ability to do this for yourself. It's dependent on you shifting the burden to it. And so it's not particularly in the interest of these different industries, whether we're talking about apps or different types of interventions and interveners, it's not necessarily in their interest for you to become more either self-regulating or co-regulating with others. And this is not necessarily a malicious or conscious intention of any of these. They are just also stuck in their own feedback loops and also within the paradigm that exists in our society of symptom alleviation rather than sometimes that deeper, harder, longer-term work of looking at where all these symptoms come from in the first place. So it's a very self-perpetuating cycle and we're all kind of in it and we don't necessarily know that we're in it. So another layer of how these dependencies and our earliest experiences with dependency affects us later is that because of our inability when we are very little to put things into a bigger context. And so the, the, another word for this is actually bounded rationality, that we build logic models basically based on what our information is at that time. But if our information is imperfect or incomplete, our logic models are based on that, on imperfect information. And I've gone over that in another episode as well. So if our first experiences are unreliable, we don't have the neural resources yet to be able to theorize or contextualize why the caregiving or the intervener and interventions are unreliable. We can only create a type of cause-effect model. And so if there is a level of stress and anxiety or inability and a state of being under-resourced in terms of the caregiver's ability to soothe you or nurture you, 
and that can come from many other systems in play. What can happen in some of those dynamics, the relationship dynamics, is it can get internalized by you as you are the cause of the unreliability. And so how this can be phrased later on in words, in the beginning, these are just sociobiological signals and sparking of of circuits, but later this can form into words. It's like the circuitry that is related to us putting things into words is just reading raw signals, raw data that came from a long time ago, and then trying to bind them together into sentences, in a sense, as we get more signals that give us these words. And so as our brain-body system tries to interpret that data, it can reflect in this type of belief that is very internalized, that because you are the cause of the unreliable caregiving, unreliable type of interventions, you could put this in words as, it's all my fault, And that can be quite debilitating. And we call that internalization in psychology. So it's very internalized that everything is your fault. You are to blame for everything. And so what these do, these schemas, these mental models, what they can do is they continue to perpetuate these loops. Because if everything is all your fault, any fluctuation of any of their behavior collapses or exhilarates you. But this can lead to you behaving in a way that might erode the relationship. Because you are becoming too attuned to every move they make, every pause in their texts, every tiny signal, rather than this diversifying portfolio that I talked about in a previous episode, having lots of different channels to give you different feedback. And so this leads to continuous behaviors that prevent you from having the types of experiences that really you really want. And then the cycle continues. Because you can't create the experiences you desire, you may turn to a more reliable intervener or intervention. And that's where the medication and the substances and other types of addictions like to social media, etc., video games, things like that, food, shopping, even other types of relationships where you continuously need these other types of interventions in order to get to that desired state rather than strengthening your own circuitry for those things. And so to sum up this episode, I'm actually going to reverse it a little bit and go into the reflection questions first because they will, in a sense, summarize some of this. And these reflection questions relate to three words that all start with D, dependence, desire, and doubt. So the first reflection question is, where on the spectrum do you think your dependence is more often? And it might not be more often on one end or the other. You might be a giant mix of everything. But you can just pick even one scenario right now in your life or something like that. Does it lie more on the spectrum of self-dependence that you believe that you need to self-regulate? And again, this is not good or bad. I'm, I'm very for self-regulation. <laughs> Remember that what we're talking about here is if you have the desire to experience something in within relationship with others and you're not able to achieve that, then that is possibly saying something about about different behaviors that you might have and beliefs and doubts that you have about your ability to do so. So self-regulating is awesome. That to me is part of what can help us not be dependent on anything else is this ability to self-regulate. But I'm talking more on on almost over-dependence on self to the detriment of being able to build relationships with others. 
So is that more where you might feel like you lie? Or is it more on the other side where you don't feel like you can trust yourself at all to be on your own and create a desired state? You always need to fill yourself up with other people's reactions and behaviors. And both of these can lead to a very similar intervention, which is what is so fascinating about technology and social media. Because on the one hand, they feed the social reward hormones, but on the other hand, there is less risk involved. Because if you don't get your hit, your fix from one particular dynamic happening on technology and social media, you can very quickly just add another app or go to another platform and look for it there. And so it feeds and it creates more and more dependence on more and more channels, but all coming from the same device in a sense. So most people have multiple apps of where they're going to get their hit from. And again, this isn't a good or bad thing. Like I've mentioned many times, I use podcasts and I use apps and I use all that stuff. It's whether this is atrophying certain types of behavioral and neural resources you have to create desired states in other ways and whether that is an issue for you or not. So dependence is the first reflection question. Where do you think you might lie if you do lie on one end more than the other? And then the second reflection question is, what do you feel like you desire more of? Do you feel like you might desire not needing others quite so much and figuring out what to do if you're completely by yourself with nothing available, only your own mind? Or do you feel like you might desire experiencing new things with people that you right now feel like you doubt that you can experience? And in both of those questions, what are those desired states? What is the the state that you kind of want to create for yourself? And then the third reflection question is about that doubt. What do your doubts sound like more in your brain? Do you doubt your ability to be in a healthy relationship? Do you doubt your ability to be able to just create your own physiological, psychological state within yourself? Is it a mix of both? So that's today's episode I wanted to get into the idea of shifting the burden to an intervener and the idea of dependence and how our earliest experience with dependence on an intervener can have an effect on the different types of circuitry and capacities that we build within ourselves. And our earliest experiences may have strengthened or weakened different resources within us that then lead us to overly rely or not rely enough on certain types of relationships. And within that context, that can lead us to either look to other things like substances or other types of interventions to help us soothe ourselves because we don't know how to do that on our own or within relationship. And that then further perpetuates that cycle a lot of times because it continuously atrophies those skills and those resources. So with that awareness, just something you could maybe take with you to try is to, again, just notice this is just about kind of expanding our awareness of what might have been some of your early experiences when you were little. Were they overly reliable in a sense or unreliable? Were you over-challenged to self-soothe or under-challenged to self-soothe? And by whom, which situations, etc. So those are just things to reflect on. And it can be helpful for us to just see patterns to our behavior. And I find that just having that kind of awareness can help us strengthen the different types of circuits and resources we have to shift into those states that we really want to have within our own mind, within our own bodies and within our relationships. So thanks for joining me. 
And if you'd like to go into any of these topics more deeply and learn how to really integrate neuroscience and a lot of these mechanics that I'm teaching about resilience and post-traumatic growth, things like that, I hope you'll join me for one of my upcoming group workshops. They will be starting in July. On July 24th, I'm going to have one on mindset and agency. And we'll be looking at pathway thinking and hope and some of the different circuitry and stuff like that involved in that. And then in August, it's going to be about trauma and attachment. And I'll be going over a multi-tiered nervous system framework that combines polyvagal theory and attachment and nervous system kind of stuff. And I also do offer one-on-one coaching. My spots are pretty limited, um, but there will be some opening up in August. And I do a, a coaching program where I've been helping people really synthesize various fields of research and figure out how to integrate it really deeply into their own work as coaches, teachers, executives, and things like that. So if you're interested, go to my website at stephaniefay.com slash consulting, and there will be some openings. They'll go pretty quickly because I will likely only have one or two spots open in July or August for the coaching, but there are also the group programs as well. And you can also email me comments or questions. My email address is new from last season. So it is hello at stephaniefay.com. And I hope to hear from you. Thank you.